Hello, and welcome to the Equalizer podcast. I'm your host, Ariana Cascone, and I'm here today with Andre Carlisle of Diaspora United and Gaming Society to talk NWSL Week 2 recap. So how are we doing on the second Monday of the NWSL season, Andre? I'm doing good. Um, We had some great NWSL games and just a lot of fun. So like we're in the full swing of things and from a chaos standpoint and also from an intrigue standpoint. So I'm, I'm, I'm feeling good. Yeah, I am too. I will admit I'm looking forward to this international break to catch my breath a little <laughs> bit, having, you know, all 12 teams be in action back to back weeks, which is the way of the NWSL. But, you know, just like the players, I need some time to get acclimated. So, um, so anyway, I'm excited today to dive into a few games from the weekend. So all six, all 12 teams were in action. Um, but we'll talk today about three specific games. So just starting off with Washington Spirit and Racing Louisville. So what was your overall take on that match? You know, this was an interesting one for me. Um, you know, I, I cover the Spirit. Um, so this was, you know, the, the talk after the OL Reign game where they got kind of a surprise 1-0 win was that wasn't exactly how they want to play. You know, they spent eight weeks in preseason doing something, and then within like 28 minutes of their first game, they have to do something completely differently. And Parsons was almost apologetic after the match. Like, he was talking about Sam Staub. Like, I'm sorry, I'm not going to ask you to do that, like, many times this season, but we just needed to do it to try and match what, what O.L. Rain was doing. And so I was really, like, excited about this match because I wanted to see more of, like, what we're going to see be, like, the normal spirit style and I think we saw some of that in this match, and I w- it was exciting. It was fun. You know, Ashley Hatch got two first-half goals, um, very good goals, by the way, like her ability to stay onside, but also the first one, I love the little touches that she takes uh, to get the ball into the box so she could run onto it. It's like the defenders are almost waiting for her to control it first, mm-hmm. and she was like, oh, no, I'm actually going to shoot now. <laughs> like, I'm going to put the push the ball ahead and go shoot and score a goal. Uh, so just through her reactions when she gets in those positions are so, so good and so sharp. So, yeah, that part was good. And then the second half happened. Yes, it was really the t- a tale of two halves. So a little bit of a spoiler, the game ended up in a 2-2 draw. Um, but I just want to echo what you're saying about Hash. I was really impressed, too, with her ability to stay inside there. I think the Spirit realized that lofted balls in behind the back line were going to work. And it's actually... Not great for Louisville to concede basically identical identical goals, excuse me. Um, I think after the first one, they should have made adjustments or just sort of been thinking about it more. And then the second one happened something like 15 minutes later. So not a good look for racing there. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'll give them a little bit of a break on the second one, only because that was an outrageous pass from Trinity Rodman. And we kind of know she can do these things. But still, I, I'm I'm firmly in the camp of like, don't let's not take any of this for granted. <laughs> Sometimes you're not really supposed to be able to do those kind of passes on a consistent basis, but it's what she does. Uh, so I thought it was an excellent pass in. But yeah, you're right. I mean, she shouldn't have in an ideal situation. You don't really want to see your team concede the same goal twice. Uh, and it just so happens that the spirit executed very well in those moments. But Louisville will probably still be upset that, 
you know, they let the exact same thing happen to them. And for some reason, I think Hatch hit the first one with her right and the second one with her left. I think she was just having fun. Yes, she should have gone for the perfect hat trick. Put a header <laughs> right. there. Right. <laughs> um, yeah, Trinity Rodman, I mean, she took the game into her own hands in week one. And it's funny because Jason Anderson and I were sort of talking about this idea of the spirit success being replicable. And what you just said reminded me of that because, you know, Rodman or a player rather is not supposed to be able to hit such a perfect ball like every single time, but Rodman just continues to impress. So the spirit are lucky to have her, I think. Yes, correct. <laughs> she does so much work and, you know, a, a, a function of, of Parsons like, work with the team already he's told us you know pretty repeatedly is that he knows how much defensive work she does he wants her to be higher up the pitch you know Mm -hmm. so that she can do stuff like that so she can have influence in the attacking half when we end up winning the ball back or you know doing things like that so I think we're starting we saw that a little bit and that kind of helped lead to the goal she got the ball in a good position for her for someone else it might be difficult to make that assist but for her you give her time, space, and, and a runner, and she's going to kind of put the ball where where it needs to be put just about like nine times out of ten, which is kind of an outrageous thing. Yeah, totally agree. Um, unfortunately, this good fortune for the Spirit did not last the whole game, right? So it sort of reminded me of Spirit in their 2022 era. So R.L. Drawer put together a really nice visualization before the season started about teams that were – essentially losing points by conceding when they were ahead or, you know, being able to come back and claw their way to get points. And the spirit lost 11 points by conceding after leading last season. So it was probably really disappointing for them to come out to a 2-0 lead and then, you know, just essentially give up the win. I They were they looked a lot different in the second half. So why do you think racing was able to be more successful uh, in the lead in the second 45? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, and actually it's very funny too, because I called this a tale of two halves in like the post game presser. And, and when I would ask Mark Parsons a question, he disagreed that it was. <laughs> and I also asked Andy Sullivan if she thought that this was reminiscent of last year and she did not think it was. Oh. So I was like, okay, all right. So I, I see where y'all are coming from, I suppose. And basically what they were referencing is that they still feel like they had the better chances throughout the entirety of the game. I think XG also will show that. But I think even beyond that, the mistakes that they made, that gave up the two goals. You know, one was that bullet header from Urseg. I think mm-hmm. you just have to be much better at defending from those kind of situations uh, from a corner. Um, that was that was in the 46 minutes. So it was right after halftime. So they said they just did not come out, you know, fully prepared to to match some sort of the, that kind of intensity uh, from the from the start of the second half. But also, Ari Borges' goal was just an incredible banger. Like it was just super super good. Like if you like if that's a chance that you give up on goal, and it's one of the few that you give up on goal. I don't know how many players are going to be able to score that. So, uh, and I could kind of see where Sullivan was coming from because what happened last season was the Spirit were kind of panic defending. You kind of always sense it in their games. Like they are, they really want the final whistle. (laughs) They're panicking, like hacking at the ball, trying to clear it. There's like no sense of cohesion. They're pushed back really, really deep and defending really, really deep and uh, kind of allowing themselves to be overrun. This was not like that. This was an unfortunate lapse right after halftime for the header and then, of course, that really incredible shot that's going to probably be in a highlight reel of goals of the season. 
The unfortunate thing is the NWSL is really talented. So just about a player on every team can hit a shot like that, <laughs> or at least <laughs> attempt it and come close. So you don't want to just wave that away like it's nothing. But I think that's why they didn't feel like it was a tale of two halves and not reminiscent of last year. Yeah, that that contextualization makes sense. I mean, I'm not sure I picked that up while I was watching it. It felt to me like the momentum shifted in racing's favor, maybe with 10 minutes to go till halftime. And then they came out and scored immediately. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's interesting also, to hear that. I'll also say that, you know, to answer your question directly, like what did they do? And I think Jason Anderson also picked up on this uh, and asked Mark Parsons about it was bringing DeMello out wide. Um, mm-hmm. She was, she was, you know, drifting out wide and they bought Borges up higher. And it was difficult for the spirit to deal with that because it dragged Andy Sullivan out. And then there was space there. And um, that kind of became a bit of a problem. And Andy was kind of like in between, like, do I stay here? Do I go out and deal with DeMello? And so I think they did ask some good questions of the spirit. So in terms of them learning uh, from that perspective, they're going to have to. That's something that hadn't been done to them yet. Obviously, only second game. Mm -hmm. But it's also something that Louisville can use in the future because that did cause a disruption and kind of helped them craft some opportunity to get back in the game. This is a really good point. I think DeMello is critical for this team. I mean, she was the engine of their attack last season, and she continues to do that this season. Um, I think it's interesting to say, to hear that DeMello came up in their presser, because I think just thinking about the goals they did concede, they were sort of isolated defensive mishaps, right? Like that, you shouldn't really let Abby Ursag ever get on a ball that's being served into the box because she's so good in the air. And then in terms of that, the second goal, the the banger, right, the sequence leading up to it was a series of poor clearances for the Spirit. So McKeown tried to head it out, and that was unsuccessful. And then Paige Mateer essentially misclears into the path of Borges, and then it just ends up in the side netting. So in light of that, I think Andy Sullivan and Mark Parsons' interpretation of the game does sort of make sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'll I'll agree. It was it was it was interesting, and I think one thing Louisville has is just very good delivery from wide spaces. I think Wang Shuang is also an incredible deliverer of the ball. Who so got the assist on the Ursa goal? Demello, mm-hmm. we know she can basically put the ball wherever she wants when she's in the attacking third. You know, they have Carson Pickett now as well who can deliver. So, so like, there's that's something they should use probably a little bit more often. Uh, and I think they're getting there. I know that they had a lot of crosses in their first game. Um, haven't seen the numbers on this one just yet. But, yeah, um, they have so much talent that they should be very dangerous, like, uh, in, the, in, in the league. And we'll just have to see how it comes together. But, you know, from this particular game, you know, it's frustrating, you know, you kind of like from a spirit perspective, up to oh, give up two goals. Same thing happened last season against the same team, not not the same players, but the same team. So mm-hmm. you just hope that, you know, these things don't become habit, especially given how last season went. But that's kind of where I was a little encouraged asking the questions post game. And, you know, both Parsons and Sullivan were like, nah, that's not what's happening. It's like, okay. We'll find out, I suppose. <laughs> yes, we will. Hopefully they're right. Um, it, Mark Parsons did say, I think, after the first game that it would take some time for his team mm-hmm. to gel. So I think waiting and seeing is a good strategy for us. Um, but on that note, there is a team that I think 
there's no reason to wait and see because they're already somehow in midseason <laughs> form. And that is the Portland Thorns. So there was a rematch of last year's final and they played Kansas City at Kansas City over the weekend and they dominated 4-1. So what did you make of that second game for Portland? So Bia Smith <laughs> is what I made of that game. Absolutely. Wow. Uh, she is just outrageous. And we knew she was, I mean, last year's MVP and championship MVP. So obviously you're like, yes, we know how good she is. But it's almost like we don't, we still don't yet know how good she can be. And it feels like she's very determined to to, to show everybody, like to find that out mm-hmm. herself. Because I think every, all three of her goals were different, which was another interesting thing for me. It's in and kind of speaks to how dangerous she is. I mean, she draws the penalty for the first one, scores the penalty. So of course, that's you know, win it, take it, score it. That's important to do. But then the second one is her just showing outrage her outrageous balance, her ability to keep the ball con- in, in close control, keep it away from defenders who are trying to, you know, get a foot on it, you know, move her out of the way. She's not easily moved <laughs> and she can also move at pace and move the ball along with her. And then she spotted a tiny gap to roll the ball. It wasn't a strong shot at all, but it was a gap to be able to just roll the ball across the line, spotted that opportunity after she had beaten, I don't know, what, four or five defenders uh, in the mm-hmm. box. And then the 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 third one was a shot outside of the box, just outside, you know, cutting inside, beautiful dipping shot, you know, bounced off the turf right into a corner, unstoppable shot. I mean... I just don't know what else you could say about her, but we're going to have like a decade to figure it out because she's just going to keep doing these things. I know this is exactly right. I mean, she became the fastest and youngest 25 goals in the history of the league. So it's, I often have to remind myself how young she is because sometimes she does things and I'm like, are you a veteran? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think she is so confident and, I mean, she was last season. Obviously, she won the awards, and she she just hasn't missed a step. Uh, she missed some time with the national team in the offseason because she was working through an injury, and it was obviously minor. She was back with Portland for preseason training, fine. And, you know, is now, what, four goals mm-hmm. in two games? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... <laughs> Yeah, I don't I don't even know what else to say about her. After she scored that second goal where she just sort of, you know, tapped it through the into the back of the net, I saw on the replay that AD French was sort of laughing. <laughs> she was smiling. <laughs> She's like she probably like how did that go in, right? Yeah. Like what I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That she's going to cause that reaction a lot and to to put a fine point on it because you mentioned she's the youngest player and that she's still so young. Y'all, she is 22 years old. She'll be 23 in August. It's, it's That's wild. outrageous. And she already, you mentioned the stat of her being the youngest and fastest to 25 goals. She also is the first player to score in three consecutive home openers. Again, she's 22. <laughs> it's, like, it's just outrageous how talented, how skilled she is. Like, I, I don't, like... It's fun to see her continue to add to her game, to try to continue to push herself to see how good she can be. We've already seen her, like she already has an outrageous highlight reel and she just is intent on adding to it every time she steps onto the pitch. And because of that, we are so blessed. (laughs) I totally agree. Um, I think, you know, Sophia Smith is 
the focal point of their attack. There's no question about that. But Crystal Dunn was actually the person to open up the scoring, right? It sort of felt like we were watching a replay of the final because Portland <laughs> yeah. scored within the first five minutes. So what did you make of that? Oh, Crystal Dunn, the midfielder, very close to my heart. People will know uh, Crystal Dunn is a midfielder, whether she's an attacking midfielder, central midfielder, I have to see, haven't seen her because of, you know, of course, her pregnancy, you know, with her son, Marcel. So we'll have to see what she adapts to, you know, in this phase of her career. But I am, she's just so good. Just mm-hmm. so good. I mean, that ball that was whipped in by Sam Coffey was, it was a very, like, it was obviously a routine, but I think Crystal Dunn is one of the few players that could control that shot, uh, control that, I'm sorry, control that cross and shift the ball away from a defender and still put enough pace on the ball to be A.D. French, who, again, called up to the national team, near post. is just the surprise element and the placement and the power in the shot. Crystal Dunn does these things. She's a former MVP, former Golden Boot winner. She knows how to score goals. She knows how to do things. She's super talented. And I just love, I love seeing her in midfield. Um, I know Portland has a lot of talented midfielders. They can, they can pull off the bench or they can start. And I think through these two games, we've seen Crystal Dunn be in midfield. And I just really loved her performance and seeing her come back uh, from, from the absolute, absolutely outrageous goal that she scored off the bench last year in the playoffs. Um, Just want to see her continue to grow and develop and see what this next phase of her career looks like, but she's starting off very, very well. It is indeed. And it's fun to me that Crystal Dunn gets to be a midfielder, which is her preferred position, right? She has been saying that uh, recently, just in pressers being very authentic about that. And For me, Portland is one of the strongest midfields in the NWSL. So she is, you know, excelling there and playing with Sam Coffey, who I think has also been really great, right? Hina Sugita, Rocky Rodriguez, right? All of these players. Portland's midfield is loaded. And I have said that I'm a little concerned about the state of their midfield in the World Cup um, (laughs) because, you know, lots of players are leaving, but we'll talk about that when it comes. Um, and anyway, in terms of the midfield being so strong for Portland, it was really an interesting juxtaposition to see Kansas City's midfield, which did not look great to me uh, in that game. So Dabinia ended up debuting for Casey in this game toward the end, right? She's coming back from injury. But on the whole, I think their midfield is leaving a lot to be desired. Yeah, I think they're midfield and defense, unfortunately. And this is why I'm I'm a little confused about them because they found I know that the way it sounds like the way that Matt Potter does things down there is each kind of year is new. The personnel kind of eventually reveals itself in terms of what's best to use and he kind of finds throughout the course of a season the best way to utilize them. And so they got into mm-hmm. a back three and that really propelled them all throughout the basically the middle of the season last season because their start last season to the year was not good. I don't think I think they what they were three and one uh, in terms of three losses and a draw. Um, they may it may have even been four. I'm not I'm not sure, but they were not great. And, you know, they kind of figured it out. And it seems like he's kind of allowing that process to take shape again when it's like a lot of these same players. You know, there are, of course, players that are you know, rookies that are playing, but there's a lot of players on the team that were comfortable in that three back. And I'm surprised that they haven't gone to that uh, so far this season. And they've kind of persisted with the four back when it clearly is not something that is kind of working to the strengths of, I think, multiple players. 
that's a really good assessment. I'm, I've been left thinking about that too. I don't think that the system is working. I mean, the score lines have been saying that, right? I think they were, frankly, they were lucky to not get scored on more against North Carolina yeah. uh, in week one. And then, you know, Portland just, they ate up the four back <laughs> <laughs> to put it plainly. Uh, but I think, yeah, there there is something about the personnel. I mean, they have Gabrielle Robinson starting back there uh, in the back line. And, you know, we talked about Sophia Smith being really great taking players on uh, for her for one of her goals. I believe it was the third one. She was essentially just driving at the back line and Robinson was backing up and backing up and backing up and not closing down any space. And then Smith yeah. scores. Right. So that's not what you want out of a defender in general, but of course she's still young. She's developing. I'm just a little bit surprised to see the mishaps happening in week one and then the same system and players coming back in week two to sort of make similar mistakes. Yeah. Which has kind of surprised me why they haven't, you know, asked Loera to go back there in the back Mm -hmm. line and it may just be injuries are a problem and they need her more in midfield. And maybe that's also why they're sticking with the back four, because they maybe feel like when they are fully healthy, the midfielders they signed might be better in a in a back four kind of formation. So maybe that's what they're doing is trying to get the entire team familiar with something. I don't really know, but I know the responses have not been good. The reactions, the performances have not been good. Um, but you kind of, like you mentioned, you know, I don't want, you know, not to call out, you know, Gabby Robinson. It is, it's a lot. I think her and, and Weinbrenner as well are like, they're very young players. Mm-hmm. And when you have a player who's, you know, a team as come, we saw Portland do this to Orlando for opening weekend, you know, they're just a very well composed team. And I think you need experience to deal with them. And they don't really have that option at the moment, especially with Liz Ball, who went out uh, in the first games, they're her most experienced defender remaining because Kristen Edmonds left in the off season. So yeah, this is, this is a little alarming because everybody was kind of like, okay, you made all the good signings in terms Mm -hmm. of attack and solidifying your midfield, but the defense is going to remain a question. And if it's this easy to get, if it continues to be this easy to get to their defense, it's not really going to matter how much they did in attack. And that's something that we don't want to, I don't want to see overall because I want to see that attack have plenty of opportunities to go crazy because it looks like it could be one of the most fun in the league. Yeah. And their midfield, right. I want their midfield to get healthy. I think hopefully this international break will be good for Kansas city, get players healthy and and ready to go. Uh, I'm interested to see if this time will result in some sort of formation change, because like you said, Matt Potter did experiment with formations last year and ended up finding the one that worked. So maybe we're in for that with Kansas city. I hope so. But I also want to shout out Michelle Cooper because I thought she had a very good game. We kind of know her more from her college days as a pure goal scorer, Mm -hmm. but I think she created three very big chances that at least should have been two goals for Kansas City. I think CeCe Kaiser had one, and I think Del Faba had one that was like right at the doorstep, and her sliding effort went over the bar. But yeah, I I think that if she's getting her passing range down, that's a good sign. Mm -hmm. And if she continues to do that and Davinia continues to get healthier – there will be plenty better days ahead, particularly when you have Gatra and uh, De Bernardo coming into the midfield at some point. So better days are ahead. But right now, it feels like you need to manage things and like make sure things don't get too bad. And uh, yeah, what I want to see, I want to see a little bit more um, trying to manage manage the situation that KC has right now, as opposed to just kind of waiting until players get healthy. Yeah, that 
feels like a good place to stop. So we will take a short break before we dive into Orlando Angel City. So don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Okay, so we are back to talk Orlando Angel City. So this was the final game of the weekend, right? They played on Sunday, and it felt very chaotic to me. So how did you feel watching this game? Oh, this was fun. I'm so glad this game had, like, the stage to itself. (laughs) I know it was, like, brutal to have all those games on Saturday, especially, like, a was it a 12.40 kickoff or 11 40 kickoff and then there was a 2 p.m kickoff a 3 p.m kickoff like it was a lot of games at one time mm-hmm. but th- it's almost like they knew this was going to happen <laughs> so this game being the centerpiece and the only game on sunday thankfully when it was over i was just like okay what are we supposed to do now because that game was this game was so chaotic there are multiple var reviews multiple penalties a penalty was saved there was a, a last second goal, which let, let me see, let me scroll real quick and see when it was actually scored because it was really, really late in the game. Uh, yeah. Kay, uh, Katie Johnson, 90 plus 10 is what Fop Mom is telling me mm-hmm. to score the winner. That just, it was, it was an outrageous game and, you know, shout out to Jackie Oatley for hanging on. <laughs> yes, it was, there was lots of energy in the broadcast, which is something I think it's sort of a welcome change for me, mm-hmm. at least. Um, I don't know. I, I think I was very into the game, especially late in the second half, because the announcers were so up. Yeah, I think, you know, um, Gal Pal Sports tweeted something about that as well, where in the past there are some commentary teams that just hasn't really matched the moment. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of unfortunate because, like, you're on the edge of your seat, you're watching at home, and you see, like, the game state, the game's wild. It's a crazy flowing game, back and forth chances, and you don't know what's going to happen next. There could be a penalty. There could be a last-second header, like, goal. You got so much talent out there that you just don't know what's going to happen. And the and the commentators sometimes in the past were just kind of, like, whispering almost like they're covering a golf or, you know, the, and, or, or they're just like, they're trying to muster it up, but it doesn't really happen. Or they kind of get it high, high, like at the wrong time. And it's just like, this was perfect. This was, you know, ex- people are experienced with the game, experienced calling the game and they match the energy and the chaos level of the game. And it just made the experience so much more exciting, which I mean, that, well, I don't, I won't say so much more exciting. It just like met the, the levels that the game was at because this game and what the players put on was just so wild. <laughs> it was such a wild game. It was. And you know, wild is pretty much the only way I can think of it because I'm not sure that it was very pretty soccer. Yeah. Um, I think both teams left a lot to be desired. Uh, you know, regardless, there were some bright spots for each team and one in particular for Angel City is someone that. I feel like I keep talking about, but Alyssa Thompson, right? Drawing the foul in the box to put Angel City up. Um, I mean, she was great in week one and continues to be. What do you think, what's your outlook, I guess, for Thompson? And then also like her game as a whole uh, over the weekend. Yeah. Outlook is tough because she's 18. So young, right. <laughs> but uh, given how she plays and and for me, what I really like about so many of these young players that are coming into the league and is that there is a level of fearlessness in their play. 
they they know they're talented, they know they're very good, and they don't really care if there are players who have been playing in this league that are 10, 10 years older than they are. Mm-hmm. They know they can get at them. And that's kind of what Thompson's been doing. She's just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna electrify everybody in the crowd. I'm gonna do the things that I know that I've been doing, which is wild because she, you know, did not go to college straight out of high school into the NWSL. And she's having a similar impact um, as like she did when she was playing like in, in high school, which, you know, maybe not similar because she scored about 9,000 goals in high school. Uh, <laughs> but she's doing an incredible job uh, in getting her team chances and getting them goals. I mean, she scored in her debut. And this one, she earns a penalty, which helps the team, um, which was their only goal until 90 plus 10 when the winner was scored. So mm-hmm. she's been incredible. I think I just want to continue to see her develop and grow her game. But yeah, I think already you're seeing so much of the talent where if people didn't know about her before and were kind of like, hey, who who was this kid drafted, you know, uh, didn't even go to college? Like, is she really that good? I think she's already answered that question and we're two games in. Yeah, it's I have to keep reminding myself how young she is because <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of like a Sophia Smith situation, right? Not putting that expectation on her at all, but just <laughs> having to continually remind myself how young these players are. Um, a, a young player that I thought was not as great on the other team, Emily Madrill. Um, so, of course, she, you know, is the defender that committed the foul in the box. She also... Uh, you know, was saved by VAR because she committed another foul in the box late in the game. Yeah. The, you know, and that PK wasn't awarded because of an offside call. But, you know, I think she's having a really rough transition to the NWSL. Yeah, we're seeing kind of, you know, I respect her path. So, you know, for, she was, she was a, a star at Florida State and she ended up, you know, signing a contract with like the NWSL overall so mm-hmm. that she could be in this in this year's draft. And then she went on loan, basically officially she was loaned by the league itself, which is just a wild situation to be in uh, to league in Sweden. And she didn't play a lot there. So, you know, and, and I understand why she didn't play a lot there. It was a very short term thing. You know, they're, the way their league runs is is a little bit different. So she didn't have a lot of opportunity to really like bet into the team mm-hmm. uh they because as soon as they would have started relying on her then she was going to be gone so that's kind of a difficult position to be in but she got some decent training out there um but you're kind of also seeing that like it's tough to go from college kind of do that for a year and then go right into facing nwsl caliber attacks it's a lot and they port uh, orlando was a very young team and she has a young center back partner as well. And the midfield isn't quite as settled as you would want it to be. So they're having to deal with a lot of things to get through. So I am hoping there's some composure that comes soon from mm-hmm. either familiarity, some solidity that comes throughout the season. But yeah, the start to her NWSL career has been a little rocky. Yeah. And I think it it doesn't really help that she's playing in front of a goalkeeper that has just not been able to pull it together, yeah. in my opinion. So Anna Morehouse, you know, played limited minutes last season, was not great. Her numbers were not good in limited minutes. And then now she's a starting keeper, was just bad against Portland, right? So they scored four goals on Orlando, and two of them were because essentially the goalkeeper yeah. deflected them into the path of an Orlando uh, of a Portland attacker, excuse me. And then 
you know, in this game, so she saves a PK right yeah. before the end of regulation. Huge. The PK was poorly taken. Um, yeah. you know, but it's worth mentioning because PKs are essentially very high probability of being scored, right? So take that for what it's worth. Um, but the goal in the 90 plus 10, when I rewatched it, I was like, oh my goodness, if you're coming out to punch that ball, you'd better get a hand on it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It was, that was the unfortunate thing is that when you look, when they'll look back at that, they'll know that that's not something they should have conceded. I think if you, like you said, if you come out, you absolutely have to go all out to, Mm -hmm. to get something on the ball and not allow a, a header to be headed into an empty net because you ran out there and didn't get anywhere near the ball. Or you stay on your line and make the save. You know, you, you do one or the other and she didn't do either. And that's unfortunate. So I, I, I'm kind of with you. I think that the way Orlando attempted to rebuild their outfield, you know, with, with so many young players coming in, I think that's impressive. I think they made a lot of great smart signings. And I think if they, if the unit, the core unit stays together for two, three years, they're going to be like, this is, they're talented enough to make this their, like this rebuild stick. Mm-hmm. So that they don't have to continue doing it because that's kind of been Orlando's problem. But for me, in order to do that, what you really need to do is have a, an experienced, good goalkeeper behind them to clean up some of those mistakes. And as it's as you said, the the game against Portland was really tough, but it looked a lot worse than it actually was because the goalkeeper gave up two goals. Mm-hmm. And that's something you can't really have with an inexperienced front uh, back line. You kind of need somebody to be a little bit more veteran uh, of a veteran presence. So I kind of hope that the coaching staff kind of sees that and, and looks and works on, you know, making a change. I don't know whether they have someone in house. I don't believe so. I think they just have young keepers in house. So they might have to go out uh, and, and try and get a veteran keeper there. I, but I think that would go a long way and kind of solidifying things so that this the team can kind of like breathe a little bit and and kind of work on getting things together instead of worrying that every single time they make a mistake there's going to be a a decent chance that it turns into a goal exactly and i think an interesting case study for this was louisville last season so louisville's back line was really rough and katie lund kept them in games last season she was just lights out i have said a lot about Katie Lund. I've written a lot about Katie Lund. And, you know, she is that whole thing essentially proves your point, right? Like if there's an inexperienced backline, having a more or a goalkeeper that puts on, you know, stronger performances more consistently can really help. Uh, I I just don't know. It's interesting that they have those two other young keepers, but are not playing them. So, you know, if, if I were making the decisions, I'd probably go with somebody different in week two, given how week one went. But um, that's enough on the negativity from me on Orlando. There was something <laughs> in that game that was really awesome. And that was the sequence that led to Messiah Bright's goal. So what did you think about that? I really thought you were going to throw the pun in there. I, really I was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about it, but I didn't want to be lame. No, it was the brightest spot. For Orlando. Yes. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Now, now I will answer the question. Um, no, I, uh, oh, I'm, I'm so happy for her and I'm excited. She <laughs> did too. not start this game. Um, I think it was Doyle who got injured and hopefully she's not injured too seriously, uh, at all. But yeah, that was a, that was a tough one. But she, um, Messiah Bright came in for her, uh, in the, and she had a very, very good 
game. She was extremely up for it. She was kind of terrorizing the back line a little bit. She had a nice little move. You know, if there's one thing that we've known watching the NWSL, it is that Paige Nelson is a strong person. She's a strong player. And so being able to like push the ball by her and fight her off and get by her, I was like, oh, okay, Messiah, I, I see you. Okay. And so that was fun. But then, yeah, her goal was outrageous. I just think like, for me, it's not only the the strength and balance to to kind of fight off challenges from her right and her left, mm-hmm. but also the touches she was able to take while doing that. That's really hard to do. Normally, you're kind of like throwing off your equilibrium's off or something. You maybe take a heavy touch just because you're in an awkward body position that you don't want to be in. She was able to hold off both, make the touches she wanted to make, and set the goalkeeper up at the same time because she clearly was looking to hit that that um, far corner and she was able to roll the ball in there. So that to me was just an incredible display and an incredible goal. Yeah, I was really excited to see Orlando get on the board first and then Bright get her first NWSL goal. I think watching it back, I was even more impressed because the or- the Angel City defenders are running full speed without the ball. And still, Messiah Bright is beating them. So there are two defenders that she's, like you said, just battling and then still beats the keeper. So I think last week she really didn't get on the ball as much. She was doing a lot of chasing, just trying to like help Orlando win the ball back. So it was great to see in this game at least a little bit of a buildup, right? There was one pass from the midfield that split Angel City's back line. And then Messiah Bright essentially took it into her own hands and said, you know, this is going to be a goal. I think this is also a great like advertisement for multiple camera angles that we now have because we can see how impressive this this goal was from an angle we might not have been able to see it in previous seasons because mm-hmm. I think the angle to really see this is an above there's like a high angle that you were able to see this and you were able to see the touches and that's a, to me that's also how you could see the intentionality of the touches where she moved the ball and when was really important in order to get the the opportunity to take the shot at goal. And like I said, also set up the keeper. So from that angle, that kind of aerial angle, you can absolutely see the intention behind it and the skill behind it. And so I'm just like, first of all, thank you. Potato cams. We were not a fan of them, but also now we get to see athletes do these things and we can get a fuller appreciation for everything they've done because sometimes you just need extra angles in this game because there's so many different like nuanced things that can happen that are so important and I love that camera angle of watching her goal and just fighting off two Angel City defenders to score it. It was exceptional. Yeah, I totally agree. So do you have any final thoughts on Orlando Angel City before we call it a day? No, I think I think we can call it a day. I just, you know, hopefully Jackie Oli is resting. Hopefully she's all right. You know, do a little little self-care, you know, unwind. Yeah. <laughs> it's a chaotic game and uh yeah, uh, ready to do it again when the end of his cell returns. So am I. Well, thank you so much for coming on to you know recap these games with me, Andre. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, and thank you to our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast, and our producer, Jacqueline Purdy. For The Equalizer, I'm Ariana Cascone, and we'll be back soon with more on The Equalizer Podcast. 